1: Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music is Not a Genre, the interview edition. Uh, Every week I talk about music, sometimes alone, sometimes with awesome people. I uh, bust myths. I make connections where none seem to be. I break down barriers. I connect everything to my music, to other wonderful people's music, to other music in the world and other non-music things in the world. Thank you to everybody who listens and watches and reads and clicks and shares and subscribes, especially if you're a Patreon supporter. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Please feel free to share any of these, especially these interviews there's been some wonderful uh, guests and I'd love for more people to know about them with me today is Fred Sauter he is a musical theater librettist songwriter performer pet care specialist and task rabbit extraordinaire Fred how you doing
2: I'm great how are you Nick
1: I'm very good I'm very excited for today
2: good me too
1: it's good to talk to you in person after all of the side work we've been doing together now and then.
2: I know. In person-ish.
1: Ish, yeah.
2: Or, you know. You know.
1: Close, close enough these days. Close enough. Uh, how, uh, so, first question I ask every guest. Um, how do we
2: know each other? Well, uh, do people know that you're an actor as well on your show? They've heard, yeah, yeah. More or less. <laughs> well... Um, You were a fantastic actor, performer, singer in a musical that I co-wrote called The Astronaut Love Show. And we did it in, yeah, we did it in the East Village in 2015. And you were cast to play multiple characters. And it was delightful. And then in 2017, I did some cabaret shows at Sid Gold's Request Room. And um, I was looking for, you know, a full live band and uh, you play the bass. Yeah. And sang back up too.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. oh man, all of it, it was so great. A um, couple of things I remember about that 2015 show. Uh, we did it in the, it was the Crane Theater, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Which we're following now. They're doing the utmost to try to get that theater open. They're really, uh, you know, kind of bust, you know, busting ass with the seating and everything. It's very exciting to, you know, they're still active because that's been one of my favorite theaters since I moved to the city.
2: Yeah. It's a really cool place. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, the cast was amazing. And, and, you know, you and Paul and the music director and the director director, you know, everybody was so great. Um, It's a, any, anyone who doesn't know this show, the music is on Spotify and I assume elsewhere. So please go look it up the astronaut love show. There's some great music there uh really interesting stories. I mean, we may get into it later in fact. I just li- really love how it was all put together. And um we'll get into the fact too that that was, you know, not your first uh, musical and not your last. Um I and the only other thing I remember from that is that my audition song was uh I am I said.
2: Neil oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cuz the the one character you you did one of the narrators. Who was kind of, like, inspired by Neil Diamond and a little bit of um, 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 Tom Jones-ish oh, right. kind of character, yeah.
1: Save the flavor, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, was I awesome. that was awesome. That uh, was awesome. And in 2017, I have to mention this uh, before I get to my next question, um, that show, that the second show, I believe, It was a Halloween show kind of
2: The first one we did was the Halloween show. And then early 2018, we did the the Starman Over the Rainbow show.
1: Oh, my God. That's right. Okay. Okay. I got the order mixed up. Well, so that first show at Sid Gold's um, was right after a one act that I performed in with a woman. Uh, It was just two of us. And she decided to come to see that show that night. Yeah. And we had a mutual friend in there, Leslie Goshko, who Mm, may be your guest. And um, uh, that prompted me to ask her out. And now we're getting married later this year. So. (laughs) Wow. That's. Yeah.
2: Oh my God. I didn't even know that. Yep. Yep. Connections. Right. Had she not. How it happened. That's how life happens. happens,
1: What would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. So. Amazing. Yeah. So some good stuff. Good stuff. Um, Amazing. And, and, you know, we've worked, we've worked since then, 2018, we've been doing some things in between uh, here and there, which is awesome. And I know we'll, you know, get together again. But uh, enough of that, I would, I would like for people to hear from you, what, what your story is? What's your background? Where you get all this great music and all the other
2: things that you do? Sure. um Well, my background was both art and music. I went to School for Visual Art at MICA in Baltimore, and I pursued both, uh, okay, basically I wrote a a rock opera for my senior thesis, which was, it was performance art, really, Mm -hmm. Um, and combined a lot of different elements, and that's when I was like, oh, you know what, this is a really exciting way to express myself, because, you know, I always loved things like the wall, and you know David Bowie's albums and concept albums. You know Jesus Christ Superstar, et cetera. And I like the idea of combining rock music or popular music and of any any sort with storytelling into a larger piece. Yeah. So that's how that's how I got started, and then I moved to New York to um, study musical theater writing at NYU. So I got more into musicals, but the same, at the same time, I've always been more, you know, of a rock person. And, um, so I've kind of ever since then, it's been sort of straddling that line, I guess you could say in a lot of different ways, whether it's incorporating rock music or pop music into a musical that I'm writing, um, or doing it on my own. Um, writing songs etc performing them doing cabaret shows
1: yeah all of it so you've been you've been in uh, into and you know creatively into musicals since the beginning then yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah
1: yeah and at the and I mean I guess I, I might have assumed that but since I knew that you also have you know you do your rock and you're you know I mean, clearly a writer, but you're also you're writing in the in the kind of rock world and and have performed that way, too. Mm -hmm. I was never quite sure where the you know what the first thing was, you know.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I guess it was kind of all of the above. So getting into actual music, it was, I think, around like 11th or 12th grade in high school that I started really getting to rock history. And by that, I mean, particularly the late 60s into the 70s um so on vh1 they had all those this would be the you know mid to late 90s they had a lot of programs um (laughs) like specials about different bands and singers and i guess like behind the music and what was the other one called um i only remember that one so (laughs) yeah so i I was like obsessed with those and i got into everything and i wanted to learn I, i just I felt like I lived it. I was like in born into the wrong era. I felt like I should have been in the late sixties and early seventies. And then as I got into other, you know, genres, and then I started like, I moved up to like 72, which was like, you know, Bowie and T-Rex and all the glam rock. And, and then that's where I've sort of, that's sort of been kind of where I live in a way, like everything kind of comes back to that sort of era for me. Even though I didn't I wasn't alive during it, but it's like most of the things that I love and am, are inspired by are from before I was born.
1: But well, we find those eras, you know. Like I, I know people who are uh obsessed with let's say the 50s or the 30s or something and they weren't born then. But then yeah, there are yeah. other people who uh maybe were very young when an era happened and don't remember it the way it happened, but they they gravitate towards it and, or maybe it is an era that you live through. And that's the one that, that really means the most to you, you know? Yeah. And, and
2: um, yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead.
1: Uh,
2: I would also say that the eras that I lived through were hugely (laughs) impactful as well. um, so, I mean, it's, when you start talking about music, it's like, it's all over the place. Like, you could we could talk about anything. I don't know it's so okay. much. But like, for me, my first love was Madonna. I'm talking age four or five. That was my first cassette. It was what I was, you know, I was obsessed with her. And I never even saw a video until the 90s. Because um, we didn't have cable TV. But it was just, I just loved her music. And I was you know, uh, I would make up dance routines and dance around. And that was one of my first loves. And then in the 90s, I mean, it was actually a great time to have grown up because there was so much good music in the 80s. You have all the great pop from Michael Jackson and Prince and and um, Donna and everyone. And then you have all this awesome, like, hard rock that's part of the mainstream. You have you know you have the hair metal which and all the wonderful ballads and then you have like depeche mode and all the really cool stuff happening the electronic music and the cure i mean it's just there's so much good music from the 80s and then going into the 90s where things got i felt it feels like they got a little more serious i you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um when it got into the alternative period but not that there wasn't serious stuff before but um in that period with the grunge and the alternative music, I was, you know, a teenager, so that hit me very hard, too. I was in love with all of that music. My first concert that I ever went to was Alanis Morissette in 1996, right after their first album came oh. out. And Radiohead opened for her.
1: Oh, man. They
2: had just, yeah, they had, they were touring with the Bends at that time, which uh, I love that album. That's a great album. Yeah. 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 So that was, um, and, you know, Smashing Pumpkins was a big thing. Then I was very into them and Nirvana and all of it. And um, yeah. Oh, that's, should I keep, that's Should I keep going in that line?
1: <laughs> what do uh, you mean? Like, are there there's other musical influences you want to talk about or?
2: Well, I would say those are like, those are the big ones, like the 60s and the 70s. And, mm-hmm. and then what I lived through. And then, there was a period from about 2001, after after 9/11 happened, until Gaga came out. Yeah, that I would say, in my opinion, is the worst period of musical history <laughs> ever. Oh, this ever is
1: great? Ever. Wow. Ever.
2: Yeah. With the exception of, like, a very few, like, you know, like Britney Spears' hit Toxic. Like, for example, like, like just a few songs, like maybe, like, one Beyonce song before before she before she became um, Sasha Fierce. And, like, then, well, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, by 2008, it was, like, a whole new thing. But, like, those few things, like, were great in pop music. And there was, you know, White Stripes and a few things in indie. But it's just in general, I feel like that's when, for me, that's when I kind of shut out like what was going on in music and then I came back at 2008 and I was like oh my god like all this and um it was all very exciting and and I think until and even into the present I feel like there's that music has been fantastic I, and, and all this in all the genres across the board even though music is not a genre yeah yeah you know um <laughs> and it's all blended now we can get into that later like you know a lot of what and how we consume music is different I mean it's now you put on Apple. Like Apple music. And so you're having these playlists that are curated to you, or you can choose what you want, or, you know, you can choose a a few songs, then it will find, you know, an algorithm will work and find you things that sound like it. I mean, that's, that's a whole new way of listening to music now than what we had, you know, even 10 years ago. A lot of changes, and yeah,
1: wow, I mean, you brought up so many great things. Uh, <laughs> I I don't even know where to begin, but I'll I guess I'll start with the kind of the last point you were making, which is, which is that um, I can put it two ways. There are certain eras that just don't resonate with us, you know, like whoever you are. And I remember for me, it was a very brief period, but it was like the very late eighties to the very like till like ninety one, ninety two all I listened to was classic rock,
2: you know, with little, the late eighties until 90s So like late from like late eighties to the early nineties, that's when you were, that's when you were out, you were like, nope. just from, I mean,
1: even from like 88 to 91 or 92, like I was, I was like 80% classic rock and then something new would come along and I'd be like, Oh, that's okay. And then that's so interesting. when grunge, when grunge hit, when like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, yeah. But even Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Smashing Pumpkins and even even that's uh, when you came
2: back on board.
1: All of a sudden, I was like, "Okay, this is something new that's really interesting to me." Even Nine Inch yeah. Nails, that that that, yeah, time, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 stuff, yeah. Like stuff like that. Because I had been my my sweet spot was probably as far as what I experienced was like mid seventies to mid eighties, and that whole turnover of when it went from progressive rock to punk to post-punk to new wave. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and the production was very kind of tight and dry. It didn't have a, a, a too many of those huge big snares that the mid to late 80s had. You know, like that was a right. that's a real sweet spot for me for production. Sure. And I kind of lost my way until, yeah, until Grunge hit. And then pretty much most of the 90s was, you know, was awesome in one way or another.
2: Yeah. And, yeah. You know what, it actually, like, I think those things, it's interesting that you say that because, like, um, Paul, who I wrote Astronaut Love Show with and and, and Bed Bugs and a few other musicals that we've been working on, he has, he always says that, like, the the best period of music was 87 to 93, and, like, I actually kind of agree with him that that's one of the, and I think in general for pop culture as well, it's one of the top eras, or at least one of the top eras that I've lived through, um, just because of, everything that was coming out from like that was like the, the you know the golden age of sitcoms and you had you know you had um it was you know rock transitioning from the hair metal into the alternative movement and there was really great things at the end of that in the beginning of that era and and how they you know think about guns and roses they were like the kind of bridge between the two in a way yes you know and like they but they were also like celebrated classic rock but they were just like uh you know um the epitome and um and then in pop music and you have madonna at her height there i mean like michael jackson at his you know one of his heights and um it's just i mean i i I kind of agree with him and it's interesting that's like the period that you checked out (laughs) you're like right
1: and that's (laughs) what i mean And, and the funny thing is i kind of agree with you in a way, about the first decade of this century, in that, like, so you have all these seismic shifts from, really from, let's say, the 70s to the 80s was huge, and then Mm -hmm. the 80s to the 90s was huge, and then you get to the end of the 90s, and the internet's starting to trickle in, and And the music industry sweating and nobody knows what to do anymore. And the old models aren't working. And then every, you know, what they, my, my theory is that what the music industry was putting out then they didn't know what to do. So a lot of what they put out just wasn't working. Whereas happening underground, like the strokes and the white stripes and stuff was starting to come up because at that point it was like the precursor to what's happening now, which is everybody on the internet's making music.
2: Right. It was like, really, you're right. That was kind of a period of like, of indie artists really hitting their stride, I suppose. Right. And, and, um, and and I actually do love a lot of that music. So I guess I just, for some reason, I maybe because I was studying, I was so into theater at that point and learning about theater that I I maybe shut down on some of the popular music and was out of it. But, um, I guess, that makes sense. Like anything that was most of what was good was happening underground and we weren't really hearing it in the same way. Do you think it's, do you think it's caught up? I mean, do you think like the music industry then like by, by, you know, 2008, 9, 10, do you think that they were starting to realize what people wanted and actually put the good stuff out there?
1: I think they, I think they wised up enough to know how to make some money from it and I still don't think it's you know I still think they're trying to figure things out you yeah. know and 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 the diff the thing is 2010 is so different from 2020 even that you know they they were still kind of floundering but catching on a little and then yeah. now it's like they're watching TikTok they're watching Instagram to find the next star. Yeah, you know, if they know yeah. somebody's gone viral or has a million streams or ten million streams. They're gonna try to you know snap them up and work with them. And because so many artists are are indie now and have seen so many other indie artists make it, they're less likely to just fall over for some record deal that doesn't make sense because they know that they have the outlet to do it themselves.
2: Right? Is are there record deals anymore? Does that even happen? Unless with like, unless you you know, you've been on American Idol, The Voice or something, you know?
1: Well, I mean, that's, geez, yeah, because there there are record deals, of course, the big people, and they can hopefully dictate what they want. You know, there are some smaller deals,
0: yeah. but
1: the the shift has been kind of the way the shift of the whole culture has been, which is all the money's gravitating to the top whether it's in a corporation or a government or the music industry or the film industry, it's being siphoned off from a lot of the, you're either going to make a ton and they're going to bank on you, or you're not going to make anything at all. And they're going to make you pay your own way, you know? Right. Yeah. I think that's kind of where it is now, you know? And, and I think I I make the point in a lot of podcasts of how, how things in music are connected to things in society. And to me, money is one of them. And you know, the way, yeah. the, you know, the, let's say the deregulation of corporations and things like that have the income disparities are horrific. And I feel like it's pretty much the same way with musicians where the my dad's been a musician for decades. And there are people out there who do the same kind of nightclub singing and whatever, who are making less now per night than my dad did twenty years ago?
2: Because, that's horrific. Yeah, the people like the stuff you, that, because like, people don't want to pay the same for live performances. Even is that what you're saying? That's
1: what it is. Like like pe- things that Paul does or Leslie does. I, like, yeah. you know, it, it was slightly different, but really very similar to what my what my dad did and does now and then still. And he made a living at it. He needed yeah. no other income. Supported a family with two children. Vacation, that's amazing. And the whole what thing. did he play? He played piano and and he sang and he uh, had a drum machine and everything. He's a solo artist. Um, but boy, that you know, I saw it dwindling over these years, and just the the people that do that now, there are very very few of them who can make a living at it.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, do you think that that's something that might change post pandemic because people will be so excited to see live music again? that maybe there'll be more of an appreciation?
1: I think it will in part because of that and in part because something that Catherine says all the time, which is some things we learned last year are not going to go away. Like streaming is going to be here forever. There are clubs now that never would have thought of it that have streaming set up. Theaters are gonna do it. The, the one of the ways the crane made some of the money this year is by streaming the shows they're putting on because they can't fit the seats anymore.
2: Yeah. That's actually a possibility of how they're going to do Broadway. Um, I've heard that mentioned I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard it mentioned possibly for Opera too, um, that they're going to sell some seats, physical seats, and have to have them spaced out like you would in a movie theater right now, but then sell virtual seats. Um, that for that particular performance, you can only watch it live, you know, at the time. And then it's over, I imagine, um, which actually makes sense because, you know, for a Broadway theater, they have to charge a certain amount. They have to sell so many seats to be able to um, keep the show running, you know, and make their, their profit that they have to make. So, and pay everyone. So that actually could work for a while. Don't you think?
1: I, I do. And I think that it's, look, you can never replace, being in a room with actual performers that's yeah. that's a given, but yeah. there are hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people who are nowhere near New York who do not have the money to either get here or afford a ticket to a show mm-hmm. and if you're selling access to that, yeah you know I have friends that live in California or in in England who got to see me perform for the first time last year ever you know? And if that can be blown up, like you said, to Broadway or yeah. hopefully to the smaller theaters and, and music venues too, then everybody benefits because they're not worried about making their money, which which puts less of a burden on the musicians themselves to have to drag in every single friend and relative and fan just to justify their existence, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I know. You're right. Um, Actually, and I have personal experience with that as well because last year I started doing shows online on Facebook Live and um, and then eventually also YouTube Live. And so simultaneously, that was the first one was like a Stevie Nicks tribute a year ago, would have been, I guess. Yeah, it's on her birthday, so a year ago. Um, and um, I think I did about 11 shows until December. And so what was cool about that was Like, I'm on here, and there can be, you know, a friend from college, a friend from high school, a relative, you know, who lives in California or wherever, and they all could be watching me, like, live at the same time, which is pretty exciting. I mean, that was not a thing before. Or if it was, it wasn't something that we, you know, did regularly. And I I, I don't know what, you know, what the, um, if that's going to continue, if it's going to be a combination.
1: Yeah. I think so. I think you're right. I think it'll be a combination uh, I think as technology has gotten easier and it's easy and cheap enough for these places to just leave it up, that hopefully it'll just be one of the things that you just bank on from now on.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Now, one of the shows you did last year was a tribute to uh, Lilith Fair, right? Called All Yes,
2: Time yeah, yeah. Tell, me, yeah. tell me about that. Um, well, um, I had always wanted to do a tribute to the women of the nineties, particularly the late nineties. And so that was, let me think that's, that was something that had been on my mind for a solid 10 years or more, just as an idea floating around of how am I going to, you know, do that. And I definitely wanted to incorporate some drag elements and then was thinking about the Lilith festival. I'm trying to remember how it, it happened very quickly. I had done the Madonna show, did the cranberry show and I was just like, I want to do a little thing. And then, and then I just started asking a few friends and then boom, like, I was like, okay, this is going to be a whole production. 22 people, two nights, I put it together in like four weeks. I think it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, Very fast, but um, yeah, really exciting. I don't, Oh, I wanted to do a new take on a modern take on it. So not. Um, so I wanted to include trans women, non-binary folks, and you know like the the full spectrum and and what i did is had everyone choose an artist who played at lilith fair and i you know and a song or maybe two different songs and then i you know because i didn't want anybody singing the same songs you don't sing song twice so and um kind of gave them like the parameters and then but it was very loose it was like you can do it as a live performance that you film and then Or you can do it as like a music video, you know, you can, it can be political, it can be funny, it can be, I just wanted to keep it very open to interpretation and just give the the biggest gamut possible um, as an interpretation of a tribute to the Lilith Fair. And then I decided I wanted to host it in drag. So the first night I was inspired by the mythological character of Lilith. And the second night was... um, what was she i guess it was more of a it was you know it was more of like a, a modern gothic take because there's some video games and there's some other things in popular culture in the last you know 10 20 years that have referenced lilith as a character and they tend to make her a little bit more gothy i guess you could say mm, okay <laughs> so that's so that's sort of what i went with for the second one
1: so the first and, night was just straight Lilith, like in like historical Lilith, and the second was more like God. Yeah, like it
2: literally inspired by that painting, and I had my friend Amanda Bujak, who's a costume designer, um, design it and and make it, which was really cool. She made the, the dress for the other night too. Yeah, that's. So that, that was, can
1: people see that, that really anywhere?
2: Cool. Um, you can see. It, yeah, you can watch the whole thing on uh, my YouTube channel.
1: Excellent. Uh, I know you owe me links and I'm- I Yes, I'll give it to you. After. Everybody, any links you want to share, I sure. want you all to click every single one of them and listen to whatever's there because yeah. it's going to be all great and super diverse stuff. So
2: yeah,
1: yeah, I'll get, I'll make okay. sure I get them from you the next few days.
2: Yeah. The other thing is that it was um a fundraiser as well.
1: For What was the fundraiser for?
2: We raised, um, well, that was another thing that was a group decision. <laughs> Um, and we decided to raise money for Rain and for Black Women's Blueprint. Oh. That's what it was for for that time. You know, I, it's the kind of it's the kind of idea that I think I might do in the future as a live thing, mm. possibly every year, every other year. We'll see.
1: Why not? What one of the things I've always been impressed with is my my, I mean, as you know, I've done musical theater, but my background has been more in rock and, and pop and, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. Other we share that. <laughs> yeah, we do exactly have, a, you know, mixed with a slightly different weight but the same kind of elements. Yeah. And um, I, ha- I, you know, I used to, I used to be, uh, pr- you know, uh, par- produce like theater shows and, I was part of a a film company and we would produce that. And so I've been on that production side and I have an idea of what it's like to put a show together. But but I'll tell you, my sweet spot has always been, let's get the band together and rehearse the songs and just get up on stage and do it. And that's a very different thing. You know, all the shows I did on, you know, Facebook last year were all pretty much just that, like me or Catherine, you know, Catherine and me. And yeah. let's put some songs together, rehearse. It doesn't take the same, it, it, there's different, you know, efforts, but it ta- doesn't take the same amount of pre-production in order to get a show like that together. And ev- And it seems like so much of what you do, you just have a, you have a real sense of how to put shows together.
2: Well, thank you no i think producing is is definitely a part of it for me because uh, that also comes as you know as when you're writing a musical you're thinking about a lot you're thinking about everything when you're when especially when it's an original story that's all coming from your mind or the mind of your yours and your collaborators and you're thinking about everything from cast size to to themes and you know um you know even you you, I imagine that's what the stage looks like I imagine even costume elements I mean I'm not going to design those things but but part of it's all part of it's it's all part of the conception for me same thing with writing songs so for example when I when I try to write a song when I do write a song that's not for a musical or not for a larger piece it suddenly starts like I start thinking about it in a particular context and then it might inspire other songs um and sort of become a theme it's kind of almost like hard for me not to create concept albums in a way it's just how my brain works you Uh, know
1: (laughs) but you're seeing connections too
2: oh yeah yeah all the time do you
1: do you enjoy every aspect of putting a show together
2: hmm every um think. Do I enjoy every aspect of it? Uh I think I mean <laughs> that's a good question. I like the advert I like creating the advertising for it. Uh I think the most difficult thing is the is the publicity part mm-hmm. and getting people to tune in. I think that's true of anything for a live show um, or uh, you know. it's true for any kind of show um i also you know i had a a rock band in 2015 to 17 called the production (laughs) and yeah and so we did about i think 25 or so shows or 30 shows over the course of two years in the new york city area and and new jersey as well and that's i mean that was a big part of the hustle was trying to get people to come out to shows i know that everybody has that experience there's I remember seeing bands that were incredible that had, you know, five people there. And it's just, I I mean, people were not, people aren't coming out to shows as much anymore, particularly rock shows. It's just not really a thing. Again, that might change post pandemic life or it might not I have no idea, but I'm talking about basically 2015 to 17 when we were doing those shows. That's part of what inspired me to want to, to do something a little different something that was more bring in the theater, theatrical, and um, do more of like a one-time cabaret show because then it's more like a special event, you know, than just, oh, come see a band. Here's our band and we're, we're, and, you know, it's harder to put out original material than it is covers because, you know, covers people know. You know, people, there's something they already can connect to and they're like, oh, you're going to do David Bowie songs, great, or Madonna songs or whatever. And, you know, they kind of know what they're getting into in a way and there's a level of expectation. But if it's original music, it's a little bit harder to sell now than it. I mean, that might have been different in the past, but it seems to me that it's harder to sell no matter what genre it is. Because just because people don't know what it is, you know,
1: yeah yeah familiarity
2: mm-hmm. do, you, do you do you have that problem or do you have you had that issue with two come up
1: oh all the time yeah and and it's you know growing up in a house where the music that supported us was all cover tunes you know mm-hmm. um when it was as a, you know, when I was younger, I made a conscious decision. I said, I, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'll now I do it because I enjoy covers. I, you know, if there's a band I like or a song, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll throw it in. Or if I'm reinventing it, you know, in, in the production, in the studio, you know, and to kind of make it my own, that's one thing. But that did not, you know, originals was the thing that really inspired me to want to do music at all. yeah. And my dad, who's a veteran will say of, of the two roads we took that mine is the hardest. So yeah, I completely agree that just yeah. getting people to hear your music, you know, you can do it, getting people to come out and see a show. Oh, there were shows where I, you know, one, two, three, five, seven at most, you know, and when you're playing solo, it's even harder because other band members can bring friends and family and stuff like right, that. Right. If it's just you, you know, then cross your fingers, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I also think that and I don't I know this somewhat, but not I can't verify it. Yeah. This city is a tough sell because there's so much out there. And that's the want what they want. That's all they yes. want. They want what they know. There You're com- are-
2: competing with everything.
1: Everything, yeah. There's so much here. There's yeah, th- Philadelphia is actually a little more receptive to original music, and it it, yep. it, it built well- in there.
2: That's where I grew up. most most okay most smaller cities are and like when we when we um would play in new jersey it you could have a packed bar i mean you could be performing to a pack because it is more of a community in in smaller towns and smaller cities and it's people that's what they people do go out to see bands and support it um their friends and things like that and 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 strangers are just like oh i want to go see an original band like let's go there's five bands playing at this great club and let's say i mean like it was it, it is it is almost more like it was in the 90s but like you know like the 90s were everywhere for example Do you know right what I mean? right that's the and that to me that just go out and see music you know
1: yeah yeah you knew you you kind of made a you know made a point uh way back that the 90s seemed you know darker or more serious than the 80s Right, and in a lot of ways. In, in other ways, ways, not. But
2: yeah.
1: But and I think what you're, what you're maybe what you're really saying there is that it, that's in terms of pop culture because there was a lot of darkness in the '80s in certain. Oh, yeah. And you know, like public image limited, and you know, even some parts of New Order were dark, and and then yeah. proto grunge bands and all this stuff. But it wasn't pop music. And then all of a sudden, pop music became dark for a few years.
2: Yes. Yes. Fascinating and wonderful. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, like they said, it's like Nirvana was like the year that it was like punk came um, above ground. You know, that's basically how it was interpreted, and it's pretty much true. And people then, you know, are are singing about um, being depressed and all those things and making it cool. And it's like, or not even cool. It's like, no, you have to be depressed otherwise, like you suck. And it's, (laughs) I mean, like it was never like that before, and it hasn't been like that since then. It kind of like. I know. I mean, it was the Generation X, which is a little before me, but I mean, I was young enough to be affected by it. You know. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and 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 that's you know, it's like watching a culture uh, pop music go through growing pain. So it you know yeah yeah and and then we we go through periods of slight darkness or whatever. And now the yeah. thing I like about today that and believe me there are eras i would love to revisit just for music you know a lot yeah, of yeah. tough, you know in yeah. the past but today what i like is that there, there is no music that you that you can't find there's no music that you can't do yourself that you that you can't find an audience for everything goes there's no one saying oh you you sound too pop you sound too polished you sound too too rock or you sound too musical theater everything is, is cool now. And I love
2: that. Yeah. Um, that's, that's interesting. Um, I'm right now I'm actually working on new songs for my first solo album, which has been kind of a long time coming. And I have a few songs I wrote like two years ago and then, but most of the songs I'm writing right now. And it's, um, that's what I think i played like one or two songs for you, but, um, so with that, I keep thinking about this, you know, genre, actually. Like, well, well, you know, am I doing indie pop? Am I doing electronic pop? Am I doing, is it, you know, alternative? Is it raw? I mean, you look at any artist, like, they might have an album that's called different things, I'm um, like, you know, Lana Del Rey, for example, like, one of her albums is considered alternative. Like when you look it up in the genres on, on Apple music and the next album is called like, you know, indie rock. And then it's, you know, it just, you know, I mean, yeah.
1: That's where, that's where genres fail. Music is not a genre as you say. Right. It's, it's a, might be <laughs> a whatever. And it's good to see some parts of the industry are trying to fix that, but you know, it the people who are doing it because they're finding what they like and they don't care what it's called. They don't care what genre it is. Yeah. you know. And uh, oh shoot. Well, I had a point that was in my head and now it's gone. Um, <laughs> 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 Damn. It um, it's just so much. There's, there's so much here. Uh, so, you know, maybe it'll come back to me. Let's, let's, uh, let's shift gears. Okay. Um, talking about, so this new, this new album of yours uh now is this what you were saying you were mentioning that it was inspired by some of the work you're doing now or is that something different something about craft
2: or oh well okay so I'm doing a lot of different things like always always have multiple hands on the fire um on the stove so the craft show is a musical that I'm writing with my friend Brett Macias and um that's like a full-on actual musical that we're writing that you know is in the writing process and great yeah yeah um and that's different from this album which is you know my first solo kind of pop rock endeavor I guess you could say and nice it what wait what were you asking about
1: I know that was it. That was the, that was the answer. Cause I know you had mentioned that there was something about craft and I thought it was a musical, but now I had no yeah. idea you were working on this solo thing too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: yeah. What I've, you know, heard is great. And it's um, I'm excited to hear any of it. What, and, and as a matter of fact, um, the, you know, again, I'll tell everybody, look up the music to the astronaut love show Um it's the music I know the most of what you've done. So I'm going to keep mm-hmm. saying that because sure. I have a personal connection to it. But I knew even then that you had done this other musical, Bed Bucks.
2: Yeah, which I also wrote with Paul, yeah.
1: Was that your was that the first musical you did uh, full production of or That's the story there?
2: That was the first... Um, no, I mean, the first one I did was the one in college. Um, and then I... And then in grad school, I wrote two musicals. Um, they didn't get to production, but the, so I guess Bed Bugs was the first. one the first one that was produced in New York. Let's put it that way.
1: Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What was it about?
2: What is Bed Bugs about? Yeah. <laughs> it's about um, a, fem- a female um, um, exterminator who is obsessed with the bed bug epidemic, and well, you know. This would it takes place around 2007 eight when when the bedbugs had just come back to New York City after decades of being away, and she has a personal vendetta against them and creates this super insecticide, and it accidentally mutates the bedbugs into human size, sexual, glam rock singing um, super warriors. <laughs> naturally and then of which the king the leader cymex seduces her to the dark side Mm. wow yeah mm. and there is a um subplot about a canadian pop singer called dion salon based on you can probably guess (laughs) (laughs) so that that music is very much in there it really um combines a lot of a lot of influences from the 80s and that the hair metal sort of era with the pop like over the top pop 90s the Celine Dion-esque feel uh it kind of combines those two types of music and makes it a musical yeah
1: yeah it does yeah wow sounds sounds great yeah and did you ever record any of that music
2: we have some demos um it's a long story but you know we never got an album made of it but eventually you know sometime at some point it will happen i'm sure i hope so yeah (laughs)
1: yeah (laughs) and then you followed that up with uh that uh, that the astronaut love show which we talked about i've mentioned maybe four times already Nobody has any idea what we're talking about. Can you describe this show for
2: me? Sure. So Paul and I decided that we want because, you know, we, we like true crime and, and we like um, really bizarre stories that have a lot of um, unexpected details to them. And so we took the three different stories from the news and combined them into one and one into one musical and the and you know weave the themes in and out between the three of them one of the stories is uh about the astronaut who drove across the country allegedly wearing a diaper in 2008 to allegedly you know um take out her her um lover's new girlfriend yeah so there's that um another story was about Joyce McKinney who um, there was uh, so her story mostly took place back in the 70s and she was um, obsessed with, or was in love with this Mormon missionary and kidnapped him allegedly um, you can look it up and, <laughs> and later she was the first person to publicly have her dog cloned so her first story is a two-part story and then the third story is the darker the darkest of the three um it's about armin Meiwes, who in 2001 um was the famous gay german cannibal who devoured his lover and his willing lover
1: that's yeah. right willing
2: yeah yeah, so those are the three stories, and it's totally insane that we put them into one musical. But we did, we did that, and there it is.
1: Yeah, it worked. <laughs> and my, and my, and my, at the time, ninety-year-old aunt came to see it, and she loved it so <laughs> for real. It worked, yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: Amazing. Um, what did you Did you enjoy doing that show?
1: Oh God, I loved it. I what I what I liked about it were for me. other than just the performing and the cast, you guys with two things. One is the diversity of music. You know, being able to go into kind of a glammy disco and and really, you know, get that on and then do like a heartfelt, you know, acoustic song and just the the where it ranged. And then to be able to, you know, express my, you know, insanity for wanting to do different voices and different characters all the time all-in-one show was a real thrill totally
2: yeah Yeah, no it's fun and that show was um, musically inspired by the decade of the 70s so because you know Joyce's story took place then and then the other two characters you know they were child they were children of the 70s right so even though the things they allegedly did happen later they grew up in the 70s and so and we also tied everything to the 1969 moon landing thematically i know it's a lot it's a lot it's like a zillion layers it's crazy but um and so that's why there is you know there's a disco song there's like a singer songwriter song there's country there's um a punk song there's a um a very russian inspired. uh prog rock song you know so we kind of just took all and all these different genres of the 70s and just let that be our you know uh, our palette i guess
1: i think that's probably why i liked it so much i mean i i i know enough about musicals to kind of know you know generally some things but i've never been immersed in musicals the way some people have yeah and i think you know, I have my favorites from childhood and from before I was born and then some of them lit a little later on. Some ones that my kids like I get into because they get into them. But the thing that's always attracted me to, um, you know, attracted me to your show and to other shows like that and to other artists, even non-musical theater, is, is someone who's willing to go many different places, you know, with, without fear of things not holding together. It's why I've always liked Bowie or Prince or, you know, and and then your musical as well. Just, Hey, yeah. this song works best for this. It doesn't have to sound like the song that came before it.
2: That's interesting. And that's something I've always, yeah, I'm all about versatility. Right. So, um, and especially when it comes to music. So that's, that's exactly right. And when I was, when I was working with the band, with the, the production, that was, and, and with, my friend nicole you know when we were talking about the songs we wanted to do and and it was that was always the thing it's like how far can we stretch it from like you know being you know this really intense rock song to this like very glammy ballad to having a little bit of country flair you know like how far can we stretch and still be the same band you know i don't know the answer to that but it's um i i do enjoy a variety and that show in particular astronaut love show is i think the most extreme example from something I've done mm. um, where there is so much variety of types of music within the same, you know, show. So
1: I think, I think it's great. I, I, you know, the, the thing that I've found in listening to so much, I do these things I call chronographies, which is basically just listening to an artist's discography in chronological order. And I know Paul care. does that too. Paul does Paul that does too. That, Paul yeah, does, we might have something to talk about. Um, I mean, it could go anywhere from six albums to fifty. It doesn't matter because I'll even do solo albums and the whole thing. And yeah. what, what you find is what people are best known for was not all they did. And yeah. That even beyond that, the 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 breadth and depth of diversity in in any extended career is way more than you can even imagine.
2: Right. Right, I did right. That right.
1: With, uh, the more, more recently, uh, a few months ago, I did the Bee Gees.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh hey, yeah, we, they started. They started out like um, a soft rock band, really. You know, yeah. they were doing like like with blues influences and other things. You know, in the late '60s, and in and
1: they and in the mid '60s, they were doing Beatles type stuff. So they right. they did that, and then the course of course the yeah, and then it goes on. But another band that surprised me was um, the Clash. They weren't around for very long. But the, you you listen to their six albums or so. There are 20 different genres on those.
2: Oh, albums. even just on London Calling Alone. I love that album. And it's like, just on the album alone, there's so many different types of music. But it all, it's still like they found, it's still all them. But it's like, you know, there's, you know, there's definitely like reggae influences as as well as there's punk and there's rock. And there's, there's like, you know, there's, um, um, rockabilly, you know, it's, it's all in there.
1: I like that you say it's still all them because I think that that is a, that is kind of an external internal perception that we're always struggling with. I did a podcast last year on what, what does identity really mean? And we always, we have such narrow ideas of what our own identity is, but what we what we what we see in others and what we don't realize even in ourselves is that people looking at us, we could go way farther you know afield than we think we could, and people are still going to say, "Oh, you know, that's Fred, that's Nick, that's the club. yeah, you know it all sounded like them no matter what kind of songs they did because it's the same physicality, it's the same instruments, it's the same voices, even if you're messing with your voice like I always say Scott Weiland messed with his voice throughout his entire career and gave Stone Temple Pilots a different identity on almost every album. It's still the same band and we're still the same people. So why limit ourselves to what we think people do?
2: What's interesting is though, but there's there's probably a big disconnect between what we think about ourselves and what other people think. And you can never really guess it. Um, It's like I don't know why that just this just came up in what you, were, what you were saying but I was thinking about um well both Alanis Morissette and Tori Amos, right? Artists who made it big in the in the 90s but like if you look at their first album like so I don't know if you ever listened to Tori Amos's first okay. album or Alanis Morissette's because it's totally pop and it like both of them like they did something very pop and it's very different from the sound that was their signature sound. So when they were you know starting out in in before they found their sound, is that still them? I don't know. Or is that them trying to be somebody else because they were young and they didn't know, you know, I'm always like inspired by lots of different types of music. It just depends on the project, you know, and sometimes I'm writing lyrics like, you know, like I write with Paul, I write write the lyrics and other things I do myself. I do music. I mean, am I always myself? Am I tapping into somebody else, multiple people at the same time? I have no idea.
1: (laughs) No, but all I mean, of the above. yes. And I think the difference is uh, you make a great point, which is someone as young as Alanis Morissette was then all she wanted to do probably was just express herself and sing in any way she could find to do that. You might not be within yourself enough to make that decision for yourself. And yeah. if it's imposed on you, then yeah, you're finding your way. But I think at a certain point, if you're self-aware enough and and, and experienced enough and have done, done things enough. Every decision you make is you, even if it's you thinking you're imitating somebody else, that's still you.
2: Because. that's, it. that's you put it. Well, it's also depends on who you work with. Cause that's a big part, like who the producer you're working with, whether if you're in a band, the other writers, um, the other instruments, like all of those things factor in to what your sound is going to be and can have huge influences and that's another reason. I mean, that I love like people who have long careers, like David Bowie, who you know had who every single album was like a different, almost a different genre. You know, yeah. Like and he created his own genres, you know, and subgenres and subsubgenres as he went, and each and worked with different producers in different eras and that sort of thing, and and each produced something totally different coming from the same person. Same thing with Madonna, you know, I mean, who obviously I mentioned her before, but like every era, every album, it's like, there's a different producer, a different sound, a different approach to music and also tapping into what's happening, you know, in the zeitgeist each time and trying to be on the, you know, the cutting edge as much as possible. And, you know, with what's going on, I mean, that's, that was what she always tried to do, you know,
1: or did. Yeah. For longer than people realize too. Yeah. that uh zeitgeist is one of my favorite words so I love that word <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and it's and I find it when I go through these you know listening to a one artist you get so much if, if you're if you know enough of history you get so much of what was going on at the time both in like the music world and in the culture at large mm-hmm. to see how some bands, they were like, I don't care. I'm sticking to my guns, and that worked yeah. for them. And other bands responded to it, and that worked for them too.
2: That's really interesting. Um, okay, I'm just gonna go with what comes to mind. I mean, I'm also a fan of classic metal, so like I love Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. I've seen them both multiple times. Oh wow. And Judas Priest, like, it's interesting how they when when the synth thing happened and took over in the mid 80s and dominated, they end up incorporating on two of their albums, I believe, and um, in 86 and 88. And then by 90, there were, and then when they did Painkiller, they went back to like, no, 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 no more synth. Like, let's go back to like rock. <laughs> and um, whereas during that time, I don't really think there's much, I don't think there is any I don't think Iron Man never ever did that, but the, there is other influences. But you know, I guess they're they're really kind of similar in a way, kind of similar bands, the, the same genre kind of started at the same time. Well, is a little earlier, but you know, um they but they also started a sort of pop prog rock and then came. But I guess that's an example of them being, you know, somewhat influenced by what's going on. And but they still it was still them, you know what I mean? It was still. Very much, Judas Priest. And that's I don't know point. if you're a fan or not,
1: but I act, they like maybe four, three, four years ago. I listened to all their stuff too. You did, so, and yes, and any I, takeaways? What what's that? <laughs> any, any takeaways? Um, th- what I would say to people is listen to the lyrics because there's stuff in there you don't realize was thrown in there that's just not just brilliant but very insightful and expressive. And um, yeah. I did. And I did. You, I did a piano version of uh, "You've Got Another Thing Coming" last year. Amazing shows, yeah. <laughs> so you know, distribute. But yeah, so no, and I agree. And I, I, I love that. Do you feel like because you, you also mentioned early on the phrase performance art? Yeah. And so I know you've been through some. You know, you have so many influences, and I, I, they, a lot of them really resonate with me. You've been through a lot of phases and things like that. Can yeah. you tell, a, like, a big difference between your early work, your middle period, your later work? And I don't mean quality because everybody gets better, worse, whatever. You you judge yourself, but in
2: terms of the music itself, when you're talking about like writing music or or lyrics or or for theater or for non-theater, sorry. <laughs> was like wow, that's right. Yeah, all the above.
1: How many, I think it's all of the above, I guess, you know, I think in just the general sense of how you approach music, what you put into your music, how the music comes out in the end.
2: I would say at the beginning, it was more just sort of being a lot more loose with lyrics and being poetic and that sort of thing. And not really, you know, that, but that's, I mean, that was, what happened is then I went to school for writing musicals and you're studying under like, you know, um, you're studying, you know, the work of Stephen Sondheim and you're like, oh, my God, I got to step it up. And, you know, you have to, it's a very different approach to lyric writing and there's perfect rhyme and all those things. Not that I put perfect rhyme in, into when I'm writing rock songs, but I do try to do as much as possible, if not always probably not always, but most of the time in, in theater writing, because that's what's expected. That's the genre. You're listening to things for the first time you're having, you're, you're following a story and you're only hearing it once in the theater. So things do have to land in a way that you can hear exactly what, the character of the actor is saying which is different than a pop song or rock song that you could listen to a bunch of times and it's out of context and it's more of just a feeling that it you know it doesn't matter in the same way it doesn't land in the same way do you know what I mean yeah. so yeah. so there's those two different approaches um to answer your question quality um I, I know a lot more now you know so I think that things I'm writing now I know a lot more about Music writing, and hmm, that didn't really answer your question. Sorry, rephrase, please.
1: No, well, that's fine. You actually, I mean, the the answer you gave was that was everything that I was for, really, you know, there. I I I think the I don't know you know, everybody has a history and everybody's done more than anyone else really knows because not everything gets released and not everything gets heard. Yeah. You know better than anybody, uh, you know, what, what you have done and, and, and are doing and will do at least until you're famous enough until somebody else studies you, you know, and then, and then maybe they'll know wow. better because they have a, an objectivity, but I feel yeah. like I, 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 you know, it makes me curious to want to hear things from different periods of your career, because the stuff that I've already heard has so much packed into it that I, I'd love to hear where some of it, you know, where maybe the little, you know, nugget, the acorn, you know, was in another song from 10 years before
2: that. I yeah.
1: I'm fascinated with that.
2: Well, it's also I mean, what, what the show that you're talking about is one where I wrote the lyrics and Paul wrote the music. So it is also different because you're I'm bringing in somebody who knows freaking everything about music. And he studied. I mean, he was he you you literally can say any song and he will just and what key he'll just play it. He just knows it's, he's, it's incredible. He knows everything. And, you know, I'm not at that level with music, but I'm also coming from a different perspective, more of a lyric writing perspective and, you know, performance perspective and all these other things and looking at the, uh, of the larger picture producing, et cetera. So it's, which is why I think, you know, we work together so well. Um, But when I'm writing my own music, it's a different, you know, it's a different approach. So I guess that's it's sort of like two different that's why I have to kind of talk about it differently. Cause when I'm writing like I was writing songs for my band with Nicole or writing songs the ones I'm writing now, I'm doing all on my own. Yeah. So,
1: have you done that often, right? Written songs on your own?
2: Um, I've done it a little bit here and there, but not anything that I've really put out there. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm like really excited to pursue this, yeah, this new project. Um and I'm also writing on writing songs, at least I think three songs for this lullaby album that's about to come out too. Yes, I
1: was I just I was just looking at my notes here. An album of lullabies for LGBTQ plus parents. Yeah. And it's yeah. released by Broadway Records. Mm-hmm. What's the schedule on that?
2: Um I think we're looking to have it out by sometime in the summer. Um we're right now, because it's we've um, brought in a lot of other composers to write songs for it, and it's, it's Ryan Bauer Walsh's project, and he brought me on board, and now we've brought other composers on board. And so right now, everybody is writing their song that they're going to contribute, and we're starting the process of choosing and reaching out to singers, and um, I believe we'll be recording like in... May I think yeah nice. so yeah That's great. yeah you said you're doing three songs yeah
1: they're your songs or you're collaborating with someone um those are songs that I wrote oh wow yeah do you are do you um enjoy I don't know let's say a different challenge where you like you said you you approach musical writing differently from writing your own material or writing material for a band. Do you like jumping like that?
2: Uh I'm kind of a shapeshifter. I do like I like working with different people and working I kind of like the having different constraints for different projects and different um you know um different ways to express a a different part of myself in each thing I do do you know what I mean and I I'm really I think I'm really good at tapping into another person and bringing and and allowing them to bring things out in me and and vice versa you know and creating something that that I wouldn't have done on my own you know um I think and it's that's going to be different with with everyone you know Everyone I work with—it's a different experience. You
1: and yeah, and what what you come up with couldn't couldn't possibly be like what you do on yourself or with someone exactly,
2: kind of exactly.
1: Think about it, yeah. and
2: and when writing songs yourself, you do need, still need that feedback, which is why it is important to work with a producer or somebody who's going to give you, um, you know, another perspective on it. Do you uh, are you on your music? Do you do you have that experience too? Do you like working with producer or somebody who can guide you?
1: You you know I I've done both I, I've done uh, music by myself I've done it with other musicians whose input has been super valuable yeah. I've worked with uh, a producer who we were just sympathico, you know, like like he understood what I wanted and if he thought it wasn't going to work, he'd tell me why and we'd shift and all of that. I also had worked with a producer who didn't quite get where I was coming from and the music that came out was fine, but it it didn't really hit the mark. You know. At what point we, did
2: you did you realize that in the process?
1: That was a tough situation because it was the first producer that I um Attracted from previous work who called me and said, I want to work with you. So yeah. I was hungry and like I have to do this. Yeah. And midway through this months-long process, two like three three tragic things happened. The, I guess the least tragic, if you can say that, is that George Harrison died. And that mm-hmm. like that was like uh, hard for me. But 9/11 happened before that while we were in the middle of freaking recording. Oh, and then I find out that this guy who just moved to Brooklyn opened his own studio is I'm his first artist. He's producing. He has a six month old daughter has brain cancer and is dying. Oh. So wow. there's no lot. way for me to have the headspace to say, uh-huh. listen, guy, this isn't working. I'm i am out of here. I was like, what can we do to make this a good experience and just make good music and try to bring out, you know, some of the things that you're hearing because Christ this is going to be your last, you know, Production ever, so it was a yeah. weird situation. But yeah,
2: that's intense, man.
1: It was intense. But yeah,
2: you plowed through, and you still you still put it out. Yeah, it's it's
1: yeah. it's out. It's um, and it was the first album I ever released digitally too. So it's also everywhere, streaming and all that stuff. It's you know older stuff, but yeah, you know. Um, as far as your own uh, material that you're working on now, do you have uh, a? do you have a timeline for
2: that? Um, it's like, I went, it's a flexible timeline. Let's put it that way because, uh, I'm working a lot in my day job with TaskRabbit and, um, and I'm also a dog walker. So, um, I'm getting more work on TaskRabbit, which is awesome. And, uh, so that's kind of occupying more time and, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to, I'm also always working on multiple projects. So it's, you know, making the time. And also the inspiration, it's like when the muses, you know, inspire you. And so right now I have about four songs that I'm in the, in the middle of a first sort of draft of. And I'm going to, I have a, a friend who's um, going to produce it who lives upstate named Jeff. And he he is um I'm going to go up there hopefully in May to start recording songs. I'll start the recording process here at my house and then we'll, you know with, with certain instruments and things and then we'll edit in pro tools at his house and continue the process.
1: That's great. But
2: for vocals, I would rather have somebody else do the recording in particular. Yeah. Whereas I can, you know, I can do the MIDI, MIDI parts and things like that strings and all of that here on my own. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Farm out the things you don't want to have to deal with yourself to someone who really knows how to do it, you know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm eager to hear it. And, um, I, I hope everyone else out there has been listening because there's some awesome music to hear already and the links will all be below this. Do you have anything that you want to tell the, you know, audience at home before we
2: wrap? Um no. You know what? Good. Thank you Nick. That's what I want to say. Thank oh, you.
1: For having me. And thank you. Thank you for spending all this time with me. I feel like there were 30 other things that we could have gone off on a tangent and you know,
2: next time. Say,
1: twice as much time. That's right. Next time. Uh yeah, I really appreciate you uh doing this with me. Um I was excited and that and it absolutely paid off so i'm um, awesome. very happy about that and thank you to everybody out there uh, who joined us uh, i hope you learned something and i hope you really explore the music that we've been talking about here and anything else uh, and as always i appreciate your support um i hope you appreciate fred's presence and uh until next time music is not a genre